everyone. We are here living the authentic life with Farad Education. Ibrahim Farad. And behind the scenes is Josephine, his fabulous <laughs> wife, who I've actually known for probably 15 or 20 years through Fashion Group International when she was selling umbrellas and I had just started selling handbags. So look at how far we've come. And we are so happy to have you. Um, we delve so much into authenticity. And uh, for kids, with Bella being in eighth grade, an authentic journey during COVID is one thing, which we can absolutely talk about. But we're at this transition in life of trying to figure out where she's going to high school and what the best fit is. And we uh, reconnected with you when she was considering leaving middle school at River Oaks Baptist to go to St. John's. Mm -hmm. And when I reconnected with you, you were at the Mommy Series talking about kids and the right schools. I think we as parents get so caught up in what's the school, mm -hmm. and you redirect us to what the right school is. So tell us about Farat Education, an overview of what you do, and then mm -hmm. let's just dive into Ooh, let's it. Let's do it, let's do it. Thanks for having me this morning. So what authenticity is in the essence of what we do at Farat Education. So we look at the best fit or the right school for the child, whether this is preschool, elementary, middle, high school, or college, even graduate school. Like we don't call them child at that point, but we call them adults who are looking to get into the best fit law school or medical school or a master's program. So we do assessments at every level of schooling for the student. And we, we do this by identifying their personality, their values, their interests, their skills, and we find the overlapping qualities and attributes that match to the school of choice. So that school of choice might be the best ranked school. But if we find that it's not, then we redirect, kind of like what we did with you and with your daughter. It's, it's just the best place to be for that particular student so that she can excel, so that she can really thrive in the environment and get ready for the next stage in life. Well, I've been reading so much about purpose mm -hmm. uh, in life, and I think we've all reflected so much during COVID what our purpose is. And ultimately, I've come to the conclusion that the happiest people are people who work in a job they love mm -hmm. and gives them purpose. And that's really what we're trying to do with our kids is to get Definitely. them to a place that they can get through school so they can go on to live their life mm -hmm. in doing this. So our specific example was Bella is a very studious girl, but she is very social as mm -hmm. well. And you give them a test of sorts that's not an educational IC type of test. No. Um, and we'll talk about the IC later, sure. absolutely. But tell us a little bit about how you've put together. You've mm -hmm. had, you graduated from St. Thomas, you have a master's, but also 
in marketing so yep. you understand so much about the human condition let's talk about the psychology that goes into the right school too sure absolutely so when i first started this business or before even i started this business uh, i found my purpose in life by actually working to teach students how to test better so for SATs and ACTs and ICs. And I realized this needs to be done for a bigger reason or a bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. And that bigger purpose was to find the best fit school, whether this is college or middle school, high school, and then realize there needs to be a strategy attached to the testing. And once that's done, then I realized most students i mean they're little mm -hmm. they're young so they may not know they may just hear from their friends or their family members or even their parents this is the best school for you but mm -hmm. is it so then the psychology of it started to come into play we realized we need to run assessments even even for small children who can sit through or answer questions effectively then we can find the, those nuances, those attributes that can help us identify the best programs for them. That's what we did with Bella. We, she was fifth grade, I think. Uh, yes, when she you was. came up with the idea and we're like, we asked her questions and she answered questions on an assessment that gave us a signal for a student who is not only academic, but she's also artistic and she has aspirations in art and in music and also in sports. So if she went to an all academic school, she her skills and her values would be a little bit lopsided towards academics and she wouldn't excel in the other three areas. So then I started putting this together in a book format, which is the fraud guide that I wrote. And I started evaluating schools in the Houston area just to identify what kind of values that they are I guess promoting to their students and they're helping them grow. Is it academics? Is it athletics? Is it arts? Is it community engagement? Is it social aspect? Or is it all of the above? So then when we put the ratings on the schools and then see and match the students' ratings to that school, that's where we find the fit. So that's how we run it. That's how we run the psychology of it. And the kind of assessment that Bella did and most of our students do start with the psychological assessment, but there's a lot of inventory, interest inventory and skills inventory that we have to run. And we can do it as little as fourth grade for the student and as late as graduate school placement. Wow. And let's talk about testing. We're in that season now. Mm -hmm. And um, with COVID, it's putting a new spin on it. Yep. So uh, we met, you met with Bella recently and you actually recommended she's taking the IC in December, but you said she should take the IC before that to get an idea of uh, where she needs to focus a little bit of attention. Mm -hmm. And I signed up and she can take it at home. And so we're signing up to do the IC at home. Like, what is going on with that? Yes. The COVID has really changed the game for IC, for SAT, ACT, even schools, how they're evaluating these tests. Some colleges, you may have heard, they have gone test optional. They're not even requiring SAT and ACT. We have not seen that large movement of test optional uh, that we see for colleges for school admissions. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing IC's adjustment to that by offering at-home testing. So there's a lot of restrictions. There's a lot of protocols to follow and obviously lots of requirements, computer, mm -hmm. Internet, and proctored online. So 
it is still not known as to how successful or how accurate mm -hmm. this is going to be, but we are confident that IC has been doing this internationally in mm -hmm. the past, so we can they can handle it to do it for domestic students. But the timing-wise, we recommend students to take one test per season. So the season that we are in currently is the fall season mm -hmm. that ends end of November. Mm -hmm. So that's why we recommend a student to take the IC by November once and then another one in December or January. So that way they can choose which test is better for them or which score is better so they can send that score to the high schools of choice by January 31st. Well, I thought it was interesting because uh, you guys, um, even though it's COVID, you were able to get a test, a, a practice test to see um, and uh, let me go back. So Bella was included as a um, a child to be considered for the Princeton study, mm -hmm. and she um, last year you worked with her on her testing, and we took a practice test and you helped her get her numbers up. Then fast forward, we go through COVID, closing school down, not working all summer, being back part time in school. She takes the test, and her numbers are not the same as they were last year. Mm -hmm. And which was a little alarming, and but we then you gave us this perspective. So let's let's talk about um, pre-testing and and what the numbers mean, and also address this mom, dad, <laughs> child scare. With we're like, how are we going to possibly rank this year mm -hmm. when it's COVID? Yeah, it's tricky. So that's why we run baseline pre-testing for every student that comes to fraud education, whether this is a high school student or a middle school, lower school student. So that gives us an idea about where the student is starting from mm -hmm. foundationally. Mm -hmm. So with Bella, it was a little bit different because we've we've known her for like three years now. So mm -hmm. we have a history. Mm -hmm. And last year when she did uh, for the Princeton te testing, she did the ACT, which is normally given to a high school student and then Bella did really well on that test but it was mm -hmm. slightly off like where the benchmark should have been so we worked with her on the ACT and then she got those numbers and she's she was good to go but then since then like you said COVID shut down schools and we went virtual learning and then then came back to school again and now IC season is up so when we gave her another baseline on the IC when you compare to the ACT, it should have been a much easier test, right? Well, it didn't turn out to be as such for some sections. And that's not just Bella. That's any student, really, mm -hmm. that has gone through this kind of shakeup over the last six, seven months. They, there was a learning gap that has happened since COVID started and schools were shut down. And that learning gap was created largely because of the virtual learning inconsistencies and some of the access and resources and tools issues. And since then, we're now trying to make up those learning gaps at schools. But then when you look at a standardized testing like IC or the SAT and ACT, that learning gap looks larger than normal. And that's what we're trying to fill out, fill up with not only Bella, but with any student that we have in our system, even in the high school level. Well, I think it's so interesting, too. And she was hesitant to she is an intense type A person. I wonder where she gets that from with two parents like me and Rob. But um, she wants to do well and she she is anxious when she takes a test. And but going last year pre-COVID, we went to Lamar High School. She walked into a room with kids that were 
in high school to take a test, and that's just intimidating in itself. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about how you help kids overcome test anxiety, because that in itself can be a huge factor in their numbers. Absolutely. So uh, we do test prep in two phases. So mm -hmm. one of our, our first phase is to fill the foundational gaps we identified from the baseline testing. So whether this is comma usage mm -hmm. or modifier usage in grammar, or it's pre-algebra and algebra one in math, or in reading, you cannot handle main idea or inference questions, we attack those gaps first. And that in and of itself builds confidence in the student because mm -hmm. they realize, oh, I, I know this question type now, so I know how to attack it. So that's number one. Number two, when we go to phase two, which is our navigation phase, is when we teach the student about time management and test taking strategies and how to manage their fatigue and anxiety better, depending on the student, we use different strategies because not every student is alike. Even twins are not even alike. So we approach them differently in phase two, depending on the student. And are those things that if, uh, because people listening, some people are able to hire you as a consultant, but are those things that you post in your book? Or are they tips that you can give to parents that could also help their kids yes. with this? Yes, so our book for, for the fraud guide for the IC and high school or middle school admissions includes some of the basic tips to manage time, manage anxiety, and timelines to, so that you're not stressed out or not waiting till the last minute because that adds on to anxiety as well. So that timeline is critical mm -hmm. and then attacking the gaps is critical we even give advice on how many times you can take a practice test to get it ready or to really uh, how long you should be doing this so we have that advice in our book it's so fascinating okay so um, initially as I said Bella wanted to consider going to st. John and now that she's um, growing older she's even more clear about what she wants do you see kids changing their path a lot from the first time you meet them in maybe lower school to middle mm -hmm. school and at that point she was thinking Ivy League and now she's thinking I think the biggest party school she could find no <laughs> actually she's thinking pepper and I'm telling her she needs to get a scholarship for that. But That's right. tell us how you kind of manage their expectations in all of that and work with the parents because mm -hmm. the parents were paying for these things. Absolutely. We want to have how how do you sort of help with that? Because I she took what you said as gospel and what I said as being unimportant. <laughs> and that's usually what happens with, happens with our son as well. So that's uh -huh. why we ask his coaches to, to yes. say the same things that I'm saying. But yes, that, that happens. So the changeability, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. So the kids are growing at a rapid pace, especially mm -hmm. between let's say second grade all the way through seventh. I mean, mm -hmm. their interests change, their activities change, and they do so many different things and they try to find themselves. By seventh grade, now they are getting into puberty and mm -hmm. you know getting getting more involved with the other gender and then they really realize okay you know what there are other things that mm -hmm. i have not been doing uh, in terms of activities or in terms of sports or dance or community service so and my goals shift so by the time you're seventh grade you're getting more defined as to who you are and what you really want to do from your life so mm -hmm. that's what you may have experienced with uh, Bella too like right now she's eighth grade she's not much more confident much more targeted when it comes to what she wants to do targeted that's what she's is a word that's what she's teenager is another word that's that's true <laughs> yes yeah. um, so uh, let's talk about 
resumes for kids. Sure. I mean, I don't feel like I had a resume. I felt had a passion. I loved dance. I danced. Mm-hmm. And I am so connected to community service. But as a kid, I mean, it, now it's just different. Like, mm-hmm. all these things. And I remember... When we talked to you, Rob really wanted her to stay in music. She really hated music. So what age do you let the kids start to tell you what their interest is? And how do you balance that with a parent going, well, you need this resume? Yeah, so that's seventh grade. Okay. Seventh grade, absolutely. Seventh grade is that over the hill at the top of the hill, if you will, because once you get past that hill, now you know where where your interests truly lie and then where you need to go next. Until seventh grade, parents should be guiding their children and give them options. Look, mm-hmm. let's, let's try the art option. Let's do performing art option. Let's do dance. Let's do, you know, soccer. Let's do tennis. Let's, in, let's get involved as many, uh, with uh, as many options as possible. Include community service, especially if you're going to a school that promotes community service. That's mm-hmm. even better because mm-hmm. then that grows that genuine interest in the activity. Mm-hmm. By the time they pass seventh grade and become an eighth grader, this is now when I guess they become a teenager as well. So therefore, they have more opinionated options that they want to influence not only on themselves, but also on the parents Mm -hmm. and say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to give up on. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do soccer anymore. I don't want to do art anymore. I want to do this instead. Mm -hmm. And that right there, if you shut that down as a parent, then you're actually going to create a rebel in your hands in a Mm -hmm. way that's not going to end up well, both as a parent or as the student, because you want the student to pursue their goals, their passions at that age. How many times I've seen an 11th grader come to my office and literally cry because her mom or dad told, told them that she needs to be an engineer because guess what? There are, there's a lack of women engineers out there. Mm-hmm. So you'll have higher chance of getting into a school like Stanford Engineering if you pursue engineering. But the girl, all she wanted to do was cheer and dance. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to go to the cheer team. So she's bawling in my, in my room mm-hmm. and she wants to communicate this to her parents. Mm-hmm. So that's, that shutdown has started when she was 6th, 7th grade. So if, if it didn't happen, if that was promoted earlier on to pursue her passions, maybe she was on track to become a cheerleader for the Stanford University cheer team. Oh, but I she's see. not. By the time she was 11th grade, she was not. So now her, her dreams of going to Stanford, not the engineering school, but the cheer team, is shut down as well. So she yes. could have ended up at Stanford with a totally different path. Fascinating. And the other side of that is, again, with COVID, um, we, I saw that um, now we're not doing sports as much. These kids that had mm-hmm. these passions, and specifically, you mentioned Bella and tennis. Yep. We weren't taking her to tennis lessons because th- that wasn't really, I mean, it was outside. We, we For whatever reason, we just weren't right. doing it. She went back. She's regressed so much yeah. because she hasn't done it. Um, so they have to come back. It's the same with school. It's the mm-hmm. same with athletics. Do you think there's going to be some forgiveness in all those areas by the schools? Or how do you see that 
coming around. Yeah, so if you're if you're an a prospective athlete in a school or in a college, then there there is that learning gap that we identified in academics. It's happening also as a skills gap when it comes to sports. So when it comes to forgiveness, it's not clear yet. But even NCAA level, college level athletics is experiencing some sort of skills gap enough to alarm the coaches, alarm the admissions people to say, you know what, we got to go to the next best athlete we mm-hmm. have in the pool. Yes. So there is a little bit of that going on right now, but it's too soon to tell because there's we're now in the middle of an admission cycle for not only for schools, but also for colleges. Yes. So probably by May 2021, mm-hmm. we will truly see the recruited athletes from schools just to see if there's any sort of difference in skills or even, you know, future or potential. If you were to ask me, am I are we gonna see a visible difference? Probably not. Because with most sports, even team sports like soccer, I'm a soccer mm-hmm. guy, my mm-hmm. son plays soccer. During COVID times, all we did together was to go out there in the in the backyard oh. and actually do skills exercises. All we did is just ball mastery. Yes, we Love didn't it. play games, you know, eleven V eleven, but what we did is we did one V one we did ball mastery, we did passing, we did shooting drills that he needed anyway. So he didn't lose skill. He actually grew in skill. And now it shows, now that he's back in the team uh, mm-hmm. training, he's showing it with his speed. He's showing it with his skills as well. Fascinating. Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours, it plays mm-hmm. into so much. Yes. So the other thing that I want to talk about, too, is the team sport aspect. So... Um, we don't have a tremendously sporty girl. <laughs> she is playing, but her school forced her in seventh and eighth grade to play sports. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and the development of kids and how you feel like that plays into what the school that's right for them and them moving forward in business and in Absolutely. social relationships. Yeah, so the the reason her school is pushing for team sports is not necessarily to raise the captain of the basketball team or the volleyball team or the soccer team. That's not the point. The point for her at this age is to learn what it takes to inspire team members, work with team members, work with coaches, follow directions, and really be a positive influence in a group setting and maybe she will emerge as the captain not necessarily via her skill but maybe because of her leadership capabilities because when you go to high school and college you can display that leadership skill in your application or in your essay that's what most schools and colleges really look for. So it's it's a hidden motive, if you will, to kind of, kind of participate in team sports at this age. And it is vastly important because when it comes to high school admissions, when the interviews come around, you sit down and talk to the admissions director. One of the questions they ask is, give us, give us an experience where you felt like you made a difference in others. Or you give us an example about where you think you could improve in a group setting well how can you give those examples if you don't have a team sport under your belt so that's that's the hidden motive and i highly recommend every student who even claim themselves as not athletic go play play a sport it could be the golf team it could be the basketball team and you may not know how to shoot the ball just learn how to dribble and be a part of a group i thought the most incredible thing of her seventh grade year was they uh, 
finally won a game on her field hockey team. They went an entire season without winning a game. And then I think they got the first point. And then when they won the game, it was like they won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And for these kids that are really um, incredible um, in a level of education, that are used to excelling, that are used to getting what they want. It was a real dose of humble pie, which yep. I feel like is sometimes as important. And I remember when she went for her St. John's interview, I was standing outside the door and the teacher asked her about something. And she said, it was oh, when I got my first F and I realized whatever. And that's all I can remember is her saying out loud to a teacher at St. John's, I got my first F. And we leave and I'm going, oh my God, what did you, why did you tell her you got an F? And she goes, because mom, I recovered from it. I knew I couldn't do something well. She goes, I had to be real. And here I am trying to say, be real, live the authentic life going, why'd you tell her you got an F? So let's talk about that. When your kid actually fails, because that is part of the journey at her school is they want them to fail in middle school so they can go on and realize they can fail. And that's a big part of the book of, um, is it Outliers or Grit, where they talk about Outliers. them? Outliers. Yes. <laughs> talk a little bit about that, success yeah. and failure, the benefit of failure. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting you bring, bring that up because we, we live in the win culture in the United mm -hmm. States. And that's, in a way, it's good. In a way, it's not. And in, mm -hmm. in a way, it's good because it gives you confidence, right? The mm -hmm. winning gives you more confidence and you you have that grit that, you know, that, that pushes you even farther. Look mm -hmm. at our Olympics and athletic games. And I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're strong. When you see USA, you see success. That's great. But how do we get to success? Do we get to success by not failing? Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually every study that shows out there is showing that it's other way around. Mm -hmm. If you fail early, then you develop even more skills to be successful in life later on. Mm -hmm. So when you brought up the fact that it's since middle school, you know, middle school is training them for some failure. I think it should start elementary school. I think it should start preschool. You want that slight bit of disappointment in early on so that you know how to cope with it if you don't then you get to high school oftentimes i see high school students their first failure is the rejection from a college application at 17. wow now and they don't what, know how to manage they it don't because know how to they haven't it. processed failure and overcoming it and absolutely. pulling themselves i call it pulling yourself up from your bootstraps absolutely and feeling that pain but getting over it Absolutely. and moving to the next time. And you, you, you cannot let your child to fail at 17 at the first time. Mm -hmm. You need to let them fail at 7, at 8, at 10, at 12. And then when they come to the college application process, they realize, you know what? It's not the end of the world. I can come back. I can come back stronger. Maybe there's another option for me. And I will excel in the school that I choose. I, um, I, I read a very recently published book in Who Gets In and Why. That's for college admissions by Jeff Salingo. Um, in his, one of his chapters, he talks about why kids or parents mainly always shoot for Harvard in the applications. And then he gives statistics. He says about 8,600 students last year applying to Harvard had perfect SAT scores uh, with 1,600. That got wow. rejected. They got rejected. 8,600. Perfect wow. SAT scores. And then another 3,800-something got rejected with a 4.0 GPA or higher at Harvard. 
So then he asks in the book, why do these academic kids try to go to Harvard to become smarter, academically smarter? Well, they're not. They're only going to Harvard for other reasons, and Harvard is accepting other students that are not perfect scores or perfect GPAs because, well, they need to excel in something else. So do you have to go to Harvard? Maybe. Maybe it's the good fit for you. It, it depends on the assessment. But failure to not go to Harvard is not necessarily a failure for life. It could be an opportunity to grow in other aspects. So you can go to a school that offers co-op or internship programs. You can go to a school that excels you in music or in art or in creative writing. While Harvard is not known for some of those things. So if you got rejected from Harvard, but then you found yourself in another university that made you excel in creative writing, great. So that's where you found your purpose. So that failure that we're talking about, if you didn't experience it until you apply to Harvard, then it's going to be a devastating failure. But if you started a failure process as early as elementary school, then you know how to cope with it and find that better fit school for you before you even apply to Harvard. Well, for me, the biggest thing to overcome was COVID this year. <laughs> that was the pivot. That was, mm -hmm. and you guys had to change your entire business way of yep. connecting with people. Tell us a little bit about, you also, I didn't even realize this, but I read in your bio, you also help other businesses figure out how to grow. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about COVID hits, you're used to having tutoring of kids, yep. and you and Josephine go, wow, what <laughs> happens? And you came up with... Yeah, so, so I'll tell I'll tell you what what the pivot has been with us. So the pivot has happened in two ways, really. So one, we were already doing online uh, tutoring, like oh, on Zoom, mm -hmm. since 2015, actually. Oh, so, wow. So we're probably one of the early adopters of Zoom. So we've been doing this for students outside of state, outside of the country. So when COVID hit, we're like, okay, well, I mean, it's going to be, we're going to get that bigger license for Zoom and add more hosts. But then besides that, it's not going to be that big of a change. All of our tutors and consultants know how to conduct sessions and meetings on Zoom. So let's just move entirely online. So we were blessed to have shifted within a day, really, wow. everything online, 100% since March. And now since then, I think I would say we are maybe 10% back to a little bit normal, mm -hmm. but still 90% of our students are still online. Now, the second piece of this is that we train entrepreneurs. Josephine and I have trained entrepreneurs since pretty much 2009. So we work with small business owners like early or mid-career, mid and we help them grow their businesses. So we came up with the idea in 2018, 2019, where we would help educational consultants like myself to start their practices under the fraud education umbrella. So it would be located in another city, another state, but fraud education in another state, city and state, we would support them operationally and we would provide them all the tools. All they do is just work with the students and families, which they love doing. So 2019, we since 2019, we got 10 educational consultants in different parts of the country and COVID hit, but that didn't stop us. We kept adding new consultants and we're still entering new markets by um, the next four in the next four years. We're going to hire another 35. 
So wow. pivot by growing in difficult times is really what we're doing. And we're seeing this as a positive simply because the environment is so uncertain with education, with admissions, with testing, that there's so many questions out there and there's so much misinformation that somebody has to put an end to it. And that's our goal. Wow. Very impressive. So uh, let's talk a little bit about inspiring your kids. If they are not inspired by school, what are some of the things? It's, it's a tough year for them, too. Yeah. Everything's changed. As much as their young minds, they still struggle with change. Mm -hmm. um, are there tricks? Are there motivations? Are there things that you can recommend? I heard that some of the Houston schools just closed down again yeah. because of COVID. Are there things as parents that we can do? Or are there things we can encourage our kids to do? Yeah, so you need to play into their strengths. So you know your child or they may be articulating it to you. So whether this is, again, creative writing, it could be math, it could be sports, whatever they like to do, emphasize that during the day or in the evenings where you they can show you their skills uh -huh. because that self-confidence builder is the key to getting through these difficult times uh -huh. and uncertain times for kids, uh -huh. especially when they're struggling with schooling and maybe virtual learning, homeschooling. So especially if they end up in another homeschooling situation, uh -huh. then playing into their strengths and plugging those strengths into their daily activities is going to really keep them motivated and keep them engaged in whatever they have to do. And I think that's true for adults, too, is I've been reading so much. I just joined a Bible study group, and I've also been diving into purpose, as I said. And it comes back to being grateful, is even in the midst of our struggles, is to find things to appreciate. Definitely. And with raising a teenager now, things are much more emotional than they've mm -hmm. been in the past. And sometimes I call it awfulizing. It's just, oh, this is awful. And we just, and we get in this mode. And I guess mm -hmm. sometimes we need to do that. But we got to, again, just find the good things and point out the good things in our kids and our families. Um, a girlfriend of mine, um, she does it and she calls it the rose and the thorns is to mm -hmm. like talk about your thorn and then talk about your rose and how you overcome it. So I think Absolutely. that's something that no matter what age you are, Absolutely. we can all look at that. I, I mean, we, you know, it's interesting you've hit a hit on a purpose. For kids, this is extremely important because kids are still trying to find the purpose of their lives to begin mm -hmm. with. Like when they're little, they don't know what, what is happening. So mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out the school. Obviously there's school, there's teachers, there's my parents, there's, you know, things I do on a daily basis, but why? The, the why and the how really becomes critical, especially when we're all stuck at home and we don't have anything to do. Well, talk to your kids about the why and about the purpose, about the how. What we did with our son, I mean, he was, he was seven back then, so now he's eight. Um, during the COVID times, we started um, putting together a box of uh, canned foods and extra foods that we, we knew we wouldn't be able to use. 
and then we took it to our local pantry and it was it was huge boxes and then mm -hmm. he i made him carry himself too i said look this is what you're gonna carry and we did this during the time when you know people were going out of work mm -hmm. and people were hungry homeless like getting kicked out of their apartments and we saw the lines at the pantry i had him look at it i said it's cars impactful. cars lined up to get to the pantry to get food and then on the other back side of the pantry we were dropping off boxes of food so for him to see that uh, it was very eye-opening and it's it becomes purposeful his school mm -hmm. currently is really pushing for community service and they're putting on the reasons too but then to do it outside of the school he really was able to see the purpose and it was something small but mm -hmm. it meant big for him. And that, those are the kinds of little things you can do at home for your children to find their purpose. And I also found that the thing as an adult that I missed the most with COVID is connection. And, and mm -hmm. we have been blessed that we can now get out and we have been able to meet people in our business still wearing masks. But when they weren't in school and when and there's just now a lockdown again in France mm -hmm. and in Germany, Germany yeah. and it, it's coming probably here. Mm -hmm. We will have another lockdown. Um, I really have reached out to her about the importance of connection. And I've said every weekend you need to plan to see friends or you need to make plans. And we need mm -hmm. to make that connection because I feel like. Um, that that's a real loss for kids, too. Are, are there other things that kids can do? Um, they're not doing their sports. Mm -hmm. um, are there other um, ideas you have for parents with that? Yeah, so, you know, we always talk about play dates when the kids are small, right? Yes. Like pre-K, elementary school. I mean, you can do play date for middle school and high school kids. What's wrong yes. with that? You can go out there and go to a park and then do, I don't know, bike racing. Or you can do, you can do track. You can run the track with your friends. You don't have to touch and get close to your friends so you can still keep the social distancing and be safe. But and you're outdoors. So why don't you just get connected with your friends mm -hmm. the old school way that you used to do with your friends when you were little, as known as play dates? You can yes. do the same thing now as an older child. I completely agree. So um, tell us a little bit about um, some of your next steps, like the next things coming up with your business. You continue to write books. Are you writing mm -hmm. more books? Are you? Yeah. So with the, <laughs> the two versions of the books I, uh, we, we publish every year, one for early childhood, lower school, okay. and middle school, and uh -huh. the other one is for the high schools. We, we publish them yearly, so annually. Because of COVID now, uh, a lot of parents ask the question, well, now I'm worried about pandemic and how mm -hmm. the schools have handled this pandemic. So mm -hmm. we're working on our new additions to include some COVID-specific or pandemic-specific information as to how they take into account social distancing or masks or shutdowns and how is their virtual learning? What's What are the stats behind this, their virtual learning? Mm -hmm. So we are doing that research as we speak. And mm -hmm. when we publish the new additions, we're going to include that information. But at the same time, we are 
scanning the environment when it comes to schools, admissions, colleges, testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, since March, uh, I think I've been on the local or national news almost on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. simply because my experience and knowledge with schools and testing has made me or pushed me to make predictions about what to come uh, when it comes to admissions and testing. So all those predictions that I made in March and April started to be turned out to be true by May or June or September. Now the media Outlets are coming back and asking more <laughs> questions. Okay, so what else is going to happen? He has so, the foresight. Yeah, we need to get yeah, him I, on. I really, exactly. I really don't Who's going to gonna win the, the election? I, I wish I could tell you that. <laughs> but, but you know, to be honest, it's it's hard to make predictions and then, you know, really know what's going to happen mm-hmm. for the students. So we know, let's say that the test optional movement, I called this back in March. Mm-hmm. It was going to happen. And it's now even eight of the eight Ivy League schools are test optional. They're wow. not accepting SAT or they are not requiring SAT or ACT as part of their admissions. Now, what's going to happen with those is it's going to skyrocket their application numbers and increase their selectivity even further than it is last year. So what does that mean for your child? Well, it's really a hit or a miss. So you might think it's going to be easier, but it's really becoming harder. So the impact on the child is really what we're doing research on in our business. So we can work with the individual student and the family to ease some of the concerns or even the misinformation. Let's dive into the information so you just keep the right information in your head and take out the misinformation. And one of my most significant questions about colleges, and we're already thinking colleges, of course, as we mentioned, even in middle school, and sometimes kids are thinking it in preschool because their parents went somewhere. Yeah. I was raised to be an Aggie, so if my mm-hmm. parents were paying for my schooling, I was going to AM. Yep. whereas we're open to Bella going to other schools. Uh, we've told her if she gets a scholarship that she can have the money from the mm-hmm. scholarship to help to buy her first business or make a down payment on a house. Some families need the scholarships out there. So let's talk about scholarship opportunities and how you help kids think broader than just where their parents went to school. Yeah, yeah. so it goes back to the whole assessment thing Mm -hmm. that that we ran for Bella, but Mm -hmm. we run it for high school students, a different version of it. So we do identify and assess the academic, athletic, social, financial, and community fit before mm-hmm. you even tackle which list you should go for. Financial fit is extremely critical when it comes to college admissions mm-hmm. because that sticker price looks scary for you know many schools, many private mid-size or small-size schools. We're looking at $100,000 a year for some schools already, six mm. figures. So that's per year. That's buying a luxury car every year for four years, and you're in debt for half a million dollars and you only finish the college degree. You don't even have a graduate school degree or a master's degree. So that's scary. So what you what we do is we identify first the family need. So are you a need-based scholarship candidate as a family? Mm-hmm. So we look at that first. If the answer is yes, then we go one way. If the answer is no, then we go to the second option, which is merit-based aid. Mm-hmm. So merit can be on academics, athletics, arts. It could be any of those three or a combination of. So most merit-based aid is automatic when you mm-hmm. apply to a college. So, But you need to have a 
I guess, the calculated list of colleges because not mm -hmm. every private school wants to lure you with merit-based scholarship offers. Mm. So if you're going for a school like Stanford, which is private and up to $70,000 a year, well, I mean, it's hard to get into Stanford in the first place with 5% admissions rate. So at, imagining to get money from them for merit-based aid mm -hmm. is non-existent. They are meeting 100% of the need, need-based financial aid, but they're not necessarily offering merit-based aid. So we are looking, those distinct, looking at those distinctions in the college list building process, and we are identifying those best-fit colleges financially first, what is real, what could be real, and what is really a far reach based on the finance, financials. Now, there, I describe um, colleges as buyers and sellers. So there's two kinds. The buyers of colleges are those that try to buy the student uh. or the family. And the way they would do that is to offer you money, offer you incentives. The sellers are on the other side. Sellers are those competitive colleges. Well, I, it would be nice if I have you as a student and as a family, I'll take your $70,000, but I'm not going to give you a discount. So there's two kinds of colleges, and it depends on which list you want to create. Do you want to create a bunch of sellers in your list? Because then chances are that you're going to pay a lot of money out of pocket. Or are you looking at a combination of sellers and buyers? Or are you going for just buyers as an undergrad? I have families that pretty much say, you know what, my student is a top student academically, top test scores, top you know activities. So I'm going to go for all the buyer schools because I want to compete against the merit-based scholarship offers. Mm. I, want to, I want my son to go to school for free, and then I'll pay for his, say, Harvard graduate school, law school degree. So I have those families, and then I have those that say, you know what, this is a four-year deal. He or she needs to go to the four-year best college possible, so I don't care. I'll pay it out of pocket. So we got two spectrums right there, and we got everyone in between. So we're trying to identify which one are you, and we advise them accordingly. And I think the other fascinating thing is that even though people want to go to Harvard, if you want to come back and work in the construction industry in Houston, Texas, you going to Harvard isn't even going to sit as well as you going to UT or A&M. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that and how you help the kids visualize that as well. It's actually part of our assessment uh, for the high school students. Where are you going to end up after four years? Are you going to go to graduate school? Are you going to come back to Houston? Are you going to um, go work or try to work in New York? What is it? So based on that answer, then even though your aspirations show Stanford, well, it's better if you take the A&M offer because that Aggie ring is going to get you the jobs that the Stanford ring most likely, most likely will not in Texas or in Louisiana, especially as a petroleum engineer or a chemical engineer. Texas A&M person is going to get it. So we do make those kinds of advice, and it puzzles people. You're like, how come you chose A&M over Stanford? Mm -hmm. What kind of a counselor are you? I heard this from a parent. <laughs> I heard this from a parent, and I said, look, you're going to go and thank me in five years, and then, or you're going to say, you know what, you were right, and we took the wrong way, and now my son is stuck in California. I really don't want him in California. Either way. I, either way, I win. But did I want to win? No. I just wanted to give you the best advice with the information I had. And it looks untraditional. 
it looks not the right way at the time, but then it always comes back to be true. And it gets you to purpose and it gets you to heart and what you really want in your life. Well, we have reached the end of our time. I, on a closing note, I'd love to, I received um, your comments on authenticity being the essence of what you do at Farat and helps people shut out the noise from peer pressure and misinformation. Do you want to speak a little bit in, of that in, in summary? Because there is yeah. a lot of noise out there with everything these days. Yeah. Everybody has I an know. opinion. And especially in, you know, it happens both in parents and students' circles. So with parents, more so when the kids are younger, like elementary or middle school, which school should we go to? Because, you know, so-and-so is going here, right? That's noise number one. And then you see it in high schools. 10th grade, 11th grade, boy or girl comes and says, well, you know what? So-and-so friend is, you know, thinking about this school. Why am I still thinking about, you know, say, Texas Tech? Why can I not go to UT instead? So that kind of conversation kind of takes away the personality, the purpose, and the authenticity completely. It just focuses on others' motives rather than your own and your own needs. So we founded Fried Education for the purpose of clearing the noise. Forget about what everybody said. Let's focus on you. Let's focus on your needs, on your academics, on your athletics, on your arts, on your community engagement, on your financial needs and realities, and then we make you the best recommendations possible. You still make your own choice, but then those people who have taken our assessments in lower school or high school, more than 99% have followed our advice in that list. And here's another reality of the college students who actually finished the program at those colleges that we recommended. They chose the majors and careers that we recommended, and they're now in the workforce in those areas. Wow. So they still go back to their report from eight years ago. They say, wow, this is really, really fascinating because I didn't know back then what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. Or I had an idea where I wanted to go, but where I ended up was so much better. And what I did was exactly what I needed to find my purpose. I love that. Well, I think your next business could be a dating service because if you could help people figure out where they need to go to school, maybe they could figure out the best partner that they could be with, too. So you guys keep that in mind for your next idea. Big shout out to Adam Andrus, our sound engineer, who keeps our noise going out in a way that's so beautiful. You guys are awesome. I've loved being with you. Same How way. do they reach you guys? Well, you can find us online, www.fraudeducation.com, F-I-R-A-T, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're very active on LinkedIn as well. So please reach out to us any way we can help. And it's not too late. Even no. though we're in November, there's still a lot of time Definitely you can not. help kids get to where they need to be. Thanks, guys. Uh, interesting week ahead of us. Get out there and vote. If you want to complain, as Rob says, <laughs> you got to vote or your complaint doesn't matter. That's so, right. <laughs> have a good one. Take care.